As we begin our time in God's Word today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessing of this day. Thanking you for what we've already enjoyed in our worship together as we've sung and prayed and heard from your Word already. Lord, we pray that as you work through the sermon today that you would uh, call us to faithful service, that we would be faithful to love as you have called us to. We'd be faithful to be hospitable and receive those who the world rejects. And Lord, that we would model Christ and receive Christ in our receiving of our brothers and sisters. Father, bless me. Give me the words to say that would encourage and build up and take away those words that would distract or lead astray. And may all be done for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 today. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at just a few verses from verse 40 to verse 42. As we get back into a study that I started at the beginning of the year, and we've taken a break uh, because I've been gone and been sick and then uh, Easter and all that. So we've been away from this subject of discipleship for a while, but we want to get back into studying what it means to be a disciple. And we've been doing that by defining what a disciple is, by giving definitions of the word disciple itself. And so we've seen that a disciple is chosen by God and loved by God. We found that a disciple is, uh, is to abide in God and to commune with Christ or to abide in Christ and commune with Christ. And we've understood that a disciple is to imitate Christ. And as we saw last time we studied in this subject, that he is to vigilantly wait on the return of Christ. So today... I want you to understand another aspect of the definition of a disciple, and that is that a disciple serves others because he desires to honor Christ. A disciple serves others because he desires to honor Christ. So to see that, let's read Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, God's word says, Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So from this passage, I want to answer two questions, or I want to consider two questions about this definition of disciple of the disciple. And first, I want to ask and answer who a disciple is called to serve. And second, I want to answer why is a disciple to serve. So who is a disciple to serve? And second, why is a disciple to serve? So first, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ to serve? Now, I chose this passage specifically because I think this is probably the most well-used passage of all, by both Christians and non-Christians about the expectation of the Christian and the expectation of the church when it comes to Christian service. Christian service organizations will use this phrase, give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Many of them have it as the motto for their organization. Uh, many a church member have criticized the church budget because, or not our church budget necessarily, but a church's budget in general, because we don't do enough to, quote, give a, uh, give a cup of cold water 
in Jesus' name. Unbelievers will try to summarize what the church should be doing in the world by saying, you know, you ought to be more like Jesus. You ought to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. So I have some selfish motivation in using this passage today because I want to clear up some misunderstandings about Christian service, what we're called to do, who we're called to serve as we serve our fellow man. So first, before we get into the who, we need to understand what Jesus is calling us to do when he says that we should receive people. So if we receive the disciple, we receive the prophet, we receive the righteous man, we give a cup of cold water. What is it that Jesus may, means when he says that we should receive these people? So the, the Greek word that is used there is dekamai, or dekamai, or dekomai, which can mean to accept or to welcome or to grant access to. It's the idea of showing hospitality to receive someone or to welcome them, to invite them into your home, to serve them food, to take care of their basic needs. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus tells his disciples that if, the, if a town, if they go into a town on their missionary journeys and no, the town does not receive them or welcome them or accept them, then they're to dust the shoes off of the, or dust the dirt off of their sandals and to move on. That the judgment of God is going to come on that town because they didn't receive the message of Jesus. So at the core of Christian service is the practice of hospitality. Now, hospitality has, has really been shorthanded or, 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 or cut short, I guess you would say, because we often refer to hospitality as a sector of the economy. You know, hospitality is a hotel or a service organization or something like that. But it's not just a sector of our economy. And it's not just about being good to those who come over to your house, you know, maybe serve them a cup of coffee, maybe having a friend over for uh, a meal. It's not just that. The Greek word for hospitality is philozenos, which means literally love for stranger. So the idea of hospitality is a loving generosity that is extended to those who are outside of your family and outside of your community. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't be hospitable to someone that you know. And surely, if your pastor comes over, I'd be glad to have a cup of coffee or a piece of pie or whatever you might want to serve me. But, but it's not just that. It's the idea that you love or care for those who are not in your circle. They are not in your community. They are not in your family. You care for, you love the stranger. Hospitality is the act of showing someone basic kindness, not because they're related to you and not because they're your friend, but simply because you love your fellow man. You're called to love those who are not like you, not a part of your immediate circle of influence. So now that we understand that, Let's go back to the question of who we are to receive or who we are to be hospitable to. Jesus answers this question by giving us one group and then he divides that group up into three subgroups. So in verse 40, he says, whoever receives you receives me. So 
who is the Christian to serve? We're to serve his disciples. We're to serve other brothers and sisters in Christ. As Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are to receive or be hospitable to other believers. We are to care for and love other believers, other disciples. Now, that might seem strange because we've all heard, and again, I, I point out that I chose this passage as uh, to, to deal with some misconceptions about what service is because we've all heard that the definition of Christian service is to give a cup of cold water. And the idea being that we are to blindly, haphazardly, uh, you know, coincidentally serve anyone that might come to us and ask for something that they say that they need. And now let me just say that I think as a rule of thumb, if someone is asking you for a basic need like water or food or clothing or uh, shelter from the storm or whatever it is, that I think that in the moment of need, you have an obligation to give that. I think that that is just basic human love and concern and hospitality. But I want to point out that what Jesus is referring to here when he says that we should give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, he's not talking about anyone and everyone. Notice he says in verse 42 where that famous uh, statement comes from, he says in verse 42, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, what does it say? Because he is a disciple, right? The little one is a disciple. So what Jesus is saying is that we should, as believers, we should be concerned for, we should show hospitality to, we should serve those who are within the family of faith, those who are within the household of faith. And from that, from that brotherly love that we have from for other believers, then the love of God is evident and it is uh, it, it is it shines out into the world and the world sees our love for each other. In fact, that's what Jesus says. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So our love for each other, our care for each other, our discipleship of one another, our service to one another, our hospitality to one another is evidence of the goodness of God in his family, in his church. And from that, people will see our goodness, see our love for one another, and they'll say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that fellowship where we serve one another and we care for one another. Um, I, I point that out because... So often, people will expect the church to take on service roles that the church just cannot take on. And so often, people will expect the church to sacrifice the most important ministry that the church has, which is the proclamation of the gospel, for the sake of giving a cup of cold water. And yes, individual Christians should care for those in their community and, their faith, and, and be faithful to do that. But the church's ministry is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. That is what our budget is designated to. It should be designated to. That is what our effort should be focused on. 
And we should do that faithfully, regardless of what the needs are immediately in the community. Faithful Christians, as they go out, can care for those in the community and serve their brother or sister or serve their, their fellow man. But the church, as an institution, as an organization, is dedicated to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have to be careful that we don't get distracted by one need or another and focus instead on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that was all in a side note. That didn't even end here in my sermon. So, uh, uh, so the next thing that I want to point out is that Jesus expands this group that he mentions, the disciple. He expands that into three subgroups. So you'll notice first, he says in verse 41, that the one who receives a prophet, a prophet will receive the prophet's reward. So in the history of Israel, now nowadays we hear the word prophet and we think of a very important person who had the authority of God and spoke with the authority of God and, and, and was an office of the, of the nation of Israel and an office of the church. And we think highly of a prophet. But in Jesus' day, a prophet was a rejected and despised person. Right. The nation of Israel persecuted the prophets of God. Whenever a faithful prophet would bring a message to the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah, more than likely they would be killed and sometimes in torturous ways for speaking faithfully about the word of God. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, he reminds his disciples that the prophets of the Old Testament were persecuted for holding faithfully to the word of God. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 57, Jesus rebukes his own hometown because they would not receive him as a prophet. To be a prophet, to bear the word of God to a lost world and to a rebellious people can be a lonely persecuted calling. But disciples of Jesus Christ should be ready and willing to receive and to love and to show hospitality to those who bring the word of God. Whether it be your pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a revival preacher or just your brother or sister in Christ, if someone brings the word of God to bear in your life, even if it hurts, even if it points out sin, even if it challenges you to walk in a way that you aren't walking, you should not shun or reject, but you should welcome that person. Right. Second, in verse 41, Jesus says that the one who receives a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Now, again, we, because we're believers, we think a righteous person is a person of honor is a person of respect. But if you think about it, especially in the history of Israel, true righteousness, true righteous people were rejected even by the people of God. Psalm 37 verse 32 says, The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. And we see this more and more in our own society. To speak the truth against sin... To live in a way that is right and good will bring reproach from this world. To live in a faithful, committed marriage is seen as repressive to an individual's sexual freedom. To have children and raise the next generation in faithfulness to the Lord is viewed as a burden to the environment. 
Even to say that a man is a man is labeled as hate speech. Just as light is abhorred by creatures of the night, so too righteousness is despised by those who walk in evil. But disciples of Christ are to be different. We are to receive the righteous person as though he is from Christ himself. But now, it may seem that that's easy, that that goes without saying. But it has not been my experience that even among Christians, this is the case. Especially in our day, Christians can be pulled between two worlds. But it's always been the truth that Christians are pulled between two worlds. And there is this ever-present temptation to forsake true righteousness, even when you see it in other people, for the sake of the approval of the world. I see it pretty much every day on social media. A, a group of pastors or theologians will berate their brother or sister in Christ because that, that person posted something that until five minutes ago, every Christian believed was true. A pastor will say something like, you know, God made the world in six days. And compromising believers will pile on, how dare you embarrass us in front of all these people with those quaint ideas. And that's really the heart of the matter. Believers are often embarrassed by the righteousness of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, in an effort to fit in with the world, they will belittle and reject them. But Jesus says that a true disciple is one who receives the righteous, even if that righteousness convicts us. So in verse 42, Jesus gives us the third subgroup. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water will by no means lose his reward. Now, when we read the phrase little ones, I think we automatically assume that Jesus is speaking of children. And it's not that children aren't included in this term little ones, but it's not necessarily just referring to little ones. Certainly there are places where Jesus commands us to receive children, like, for example, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. But the word little ones here literally means the least. I don't know if your translation says that, but the most accurate way of saying that, that word is the least. So what Jesus is saying here, what Jesus has in mind, is another group that is often despised by the world and even the church, sadly enough. And the least refers to or covers anyone who we would naturally assume to be less than or unworthy or an outcast. In Jesus' day, it did include children and women and slaves and the diseased and the disabled. And I don't know that much of that has changed, unfortunately, even today. It's certainly the case that even today, our first reaction when we see a physically or mentally disabled person is to ignore or to reject them. It is certainly the case, even today, that our first reaction in meeting someone of a lower economic status than we are would be to move along quickly and to get out of their way. Yet the disciple of Jesus Christ is called to serve just those types of people. 
James chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 says, If you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing while you belittle the poor man, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now that we understand the who of of Christian service, we need to ask, why should we serve? In our passage, with every group that Jesus calls us to receive, he says that the one who receives this people, these people, receive a reward. He says, if you receive the prophet, then you receive the prophet's reward. If you receive the righteous, then you receive the righteous man's reward. And if you give a cup of cold water to the least of these, then you will not lose your reward. So Jesus clearly intends to motivate us to service by hanging in front of us, dangling in front of us, some sort of reward. Now, some scholars teach that the the Christian can earn rewards in heaven through obedience. And I think, honestly, there is some ground for that. And and by that, I don't mean rewards of salvation. I mean, uh, probably quite literally, closeness to God or or a a closer relation to God in heaven. But what I... uh, I don't think that's what Jesus means when he uses the word reward here. Rather, I agree with Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he wrote, He who offers a cup of cold water to the weakest and the poorest, who bear no honorable name, has ministered to Christ himself, and Jesus Christ will be his reward. So the reward of Christian service is that we serve Christ when we serve our brothers and sisters. And by doing that, we receive the reward of life with Christ. By receiving your brother and sister in Christ, Jesus says you're receiving Christ himself. And by receiving Christ himself, you are receiving the reward of Christ. You are gaining closer relationship to Christ by serving other people. In fact, I've heard people say that innumerable times when they go on a service trip, when they go on a a mission trip, and they go and they do some work for someone else. You'll hear them, they'll come back and say, I feel like I was blessed more than I blessed other people. What they're communicating in that is this exact principle that when you receive someone whom God has called you to receive, then you receive the blessing of Jesus Christ as you do that. Uh, And so if you think about it, after all, what is the prophet's reward? When he says when you receive a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. What is the prophet's reward? It's eternal life with Jesus, right? What is the righteous person's reward? It's eternal life with Jesus. To love the ones that Jesus loves is definitive proof, is definitive evidence that we are part of the household of faith, that we ourselves have faith in Jesus Christ. As Jesus tells the sheep in that parable of the sheep and the goats, remember in Matthew chapter 25, he says that at the end, at the judgment day, the God will separate the sheep from the goats and they will stand before him and tell the sheep on his right hand, enter into the uh, uh, inheritance that I've prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he says that when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And they say, Lord, when did we do these things? And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
So there's another motivation, though, for Christian service that's related to this, and that's found in John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. So in those verses, after washing his disciples' feet, Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And then he says, A servant is not greater than his master. So we are to serve because we follow our master. Jesus came not as a Lord ruling over and demanding things that he did not give, but he came as a servant of man. He gave up the very throne room of God to become a servant, even to the point of death on a cross. And so we are called as followers of Jesus to imitate him in our service of our fellow man. If Jesus, the Lord of the universe, was not above washing the feet of his disciples, then we, as those who are his followers and his servants, should be willing to wash other, feet, other people's feet as well. We should be willing to serve as he has served. As Eugene Peterson put it, God did not become a servant so that we could order him around, but so that we could join him in a redemptive life. So brothers and sisters, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to love the ones that the world despises. We are to love the one who carries the word of God. We are to love the righteous and seek to live in righteousness with them. We are to love the least, the outcast, the despised, and the vulnerable. We do this because we love our Lord Jesus and we want to serve him as we serve others. And we want to serve him as he has served us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work of Christ and the fact that he came to serve. He came to live as a perfect example to us and he came to die for our sins and rise again from the dead to defeat death and hell for us. And in that life of service, we find our life. We find the way that we should live. And so, Father, I pray that we would leave this place ready to serve you. Father, bless us now as we respond in song. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.